is in need of, it works well, because anytime he needs somebody to come and preach for him, that's something I love to do, so it just works well. So for what, 15 years, I had the opportunity to do that. Uh, this time I almost said no, um, just because his Georgia Bulldogs beat up on my balls last week. And so I was a little bitter at him for a little while, but Tennessee won yesterday, so I was right in the world again. I know we will not talk about Alabama or Auburn down here, so we're going to leave that outside the outside the door. Only kidding. Only kidding. Um, we've had, man, arguments since eighth grade over that stuff. So uh, if you don't know, my name is Mickey. I'm from Chattanooga. I've been in education for 20 years, but now I've been working at a church as a pastor administration for the last three and a half-ish. It's the church where Steve and I and another friend of ours, Doug, if you've ever heard his name, grow up. And so um, it's, it's fun. Anytime I get the opportunity to come down here and be a part of this body. Because, again, I pray for you all often and was praying for you before you were even to church um, in, in many, many ways. So just to see everything that God does and get an update. Steve and Doug and I actually, again, we grew up together in Chattanooga from about eighth grade until now, really. We're still growing up. And so we got to spend some time this summer together. It was just neat to hear Doug is a pastor in Washington State. Steve's here in Alabama. I'm in Chattanooga just to see what God is doing um, in the different churches he has us at. And so I got an update on just what all God is doing here and just... Love it. Love how the Word of God sounds forth. I'm going to pray real quick that God will just teach through His Word, and then I will say nothing, um, basically, that I don't need to say at all. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have just to hear from Your Word this morning. And um, Lord, I, that's exactly what I pray, is that Your Word will sound forth through Your Holy Spirit in me, but more importantly than any of that, you'll just speak directly as people see your word this morning and directly to this church and ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2. That's where you want to get to. Second Timothy chapter 2. I want you to get there. I want you to get settled because I'm going to start. It's kind of cool. Actually, now I have to face this way um, as well, so that's really neat to see that. Um, so I kind of am a little bit of a mover, so you know, um, just bear with me on that one. Second Timothy chapter 2. You want to be in verse 1 because we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Um, today, as you get there, I guess the title is this, or really a big takeaway is, our strength for kingdom work um, is by the grace that's in Jesus. Our strength as believers for kingdom work is in the strength, um, or is in the grace that's in Jesus. And you'll see that um, as we go out of this, because we'll hit three points that'll drive this home. Get to Second Timothy, though. Get your place, because I know you're, if you're like me, you kind of like to get your place, and then just look up here. Because I'm going to start today with a twofold question for you. But first, I'm going to set that question up. You ready? Okay. We settled. We in? All right. Let's say, this is really encouraging, I know, to start out with. Let's say God has let you know that the end of your life has come. you got maybe a week, maybe two at the most, um, and you know you're going to go home and be with Him. Right? That's really encouraging, I know. Okay. Um, but let's say that's the scenario. All right, and you, though, have the opportunity to write one last letter. Maybe this modern-day email, I don't know. Uh, maybe you had the opportunity, maybe a page or two, to write one last letter. In your life, you know it. God has let you know that. You're going to go home and be with Him in a week or two. You have the opportunity to write one last letter. Here's the two-fold question. Okay, I really want you to think about this. Who would you write that letter to? Don't answer, just think. Well, I guess answer it in your mind. Who would you write it to? And the second, what would you write to them about? Let me ask it again. Into your life, you know that. God's let you know that. Have the opportunity to write one last letter. Who would you write to? Who would you write that letter to? And what would you write to them about? That really is a scenario that Paul is writing this letter to with Timothy. 
If you keep reading all the way to chapter 4, Paul will tell you, the time of my departure has come. God has let Paul know he's about to die. And sure enough, we can look in history, and he died shortly thereafter. And as far as we know, this is the last letter that he wrote. And guess who he wrote it to? You know it, the title. Timothy. If you do a little bit of research throughout Scripture and just in history, you'll see the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. He called him his true child in the common faith. Not his real son, physically, but a child. Many people think Paul led him to Christ and then worked with him in ministry. So he chose to write to someone of the utmost importance to him. Right? And what he wrote about was really cool. Second Timothy is all about reminding Timothy, his true child in the faith, of all the stuff that he had taught him in ministry and the gospel, and then encouraging him to do what with it? Go out and live it out and pass it on to others, which we'll see in a second. What about you? Right? I would venture to say, probably something similar as you were thinking. I won't try to read your minds, but I was presented with this question for myself. You probably would have picked somebody very important to you, right? And it probably would have been what you would have written about. probably would have been what was most important to you, I would assume. That's exactly what Paul has done with Timothy as you look at this book. So much so that we're starting in chapter 2, but if you go back to chapter 1, if you broke it up into three sections in chapter 1, 1 through 7 is basically about helping others follow Jesus. And then 8 through 12 would have been about finding boldness to share the gospel. And then to close out chapter 1, 13 through 18, would have been about being faithful to the gospel to those who represent it. You get the theme? Follow Jesus, the gospel, the gospel. What's important to Paul? The gospel. Following Jesus. And he talks to him all about that in chapter 1. Then he comes to chapter 2, and that's where we're going to pick up today. And you'll see this. Again, our, our idea for today is our strength for kingdom work is found in the graces in Jesus. Three quick points today, and they're this. Be strong in the graces in Jesus, and trust God's word to others, and work hard at what really matters. All right, well, let's read first the passage, and we'll come back to, to the first point. It says this, 2 Timothy, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You therefore, my son, you can see a glimpse of the relationship again, right? You therefore, my son, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Um, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Verse 7, consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Again, three points. First point that we're going to look at is this. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Um, I promise you, I really am reading out of the Bible. Mine just literally is falling apart, so it's very convenient that uh, 2 Timothy has its own little section. So I am flipping through that up here as I, as I walk with you guys. Go back to verse 1, okay? Be strong in the grace in Christ Jesus. First point. Look at verse 1. Therefore, so you therefore, my son, be strong. That's Paul to Timothy. I already told you about the relationship a little bit. That's a, for a different study for some other time. But look what he tells him. You, therefore, be strong. So the first time I read that, the questions came to mind is, why would, why would he start chapter 2 by telling him, be strong? Well, it's twofold. We're going to go back and look. There's some things he told him in chapter 1 where now he needs to tell him, you be strong, because the therefore, anytime you see it, it's a term of conclusion. 
So the author who was writing, and by the way, this it didn't have chapters and verses. You know that, right? This was just a letter written. We added chapters and verses letter to make it a little more understandable for us. This would have just been a letter that just flowed. So he's got chapter one. He's given this idea, and then he comes to chapter and he says, "Therefore, you be strong." So what's he been telling him in chapter one that Timothy needs to know to be strong? We'll go back to chapter one. Get a Bible. And pick up in verse 8. These are just a few points of reasons he might need to be strong. Look at verse 8. Therefore, chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. Paul's in prison when he's writing this. But join me in what? Suffering. That's exciting, right? Right, one thing you want to remind him is at the end of his life. Has Paul suffered? Yeah, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You can see how much he suffered. Quite a bit. More than I can imagine. Uh, probably us combined in this room. So he's telling him, don't be ashamed of the gospel. We're willing to suffer. You think about that. Why would you say those two things together? Well, because Timothy would have seen some of the suffering. Probably experienced some of it. And now he's telling him, I'm dying. So you're going to go out and live this life, continue it on. If he's dealt with that suffering, he probably needs to be encouraged. Don't be ashamed. Because there might be the temptation. He hasn't. But there might be the temptation of, I don't want any more of that. I've seen that from Paul and I've seen it in my life. I don't want any more of that. I want to go do my own thing. No, do you, do you see how big a deal that would be? Right? Be strong. Well, let's keep going. Keep on in verse 13. Retain the standard of sound words. That really is hold the example of healthy teaching. You might think, well, that's not a big, huge deal. Yes, it is. Go read the letters that Paul wrote and the teachings in which he taught. And now he comes to this last letter, and now he's basically passing on to Timothy, you, hold that example of healthy teaching. Because by this time, there's so much false teaching that's bombarding their ministry. Why do you think he needs to tell him? Be strong, Timothy. Be strong. Go down to verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that's been entrusted to you. What's the treasure? That's the gospel message in the ministry now that Timothy has now been received from Paul, right? Guard it. That's no easy task. How does he know it's no easy task? Again, he's seen the life of Paul. He's seen the suffering that Paul had to go through in guarding it. Does that make sense? Now here's a really encouraging one. Verse 15, Paul tells him this. You're aware of the fact that all who live, not like two or three, but all who, li who are in Asia turned away from me. If he didn't know before, he knows that the most likely if he's going to live this life and guard and hold the example and not be ashamed, people are going to turn away from him. That's encouraging, right? In the very next verse, or is it two verses? Yeah, two verses later, he comes right back to him and says, Be strong. Does that make a little more sense? How he starts out chapter 2? You therefore, my son, be strong. You've got to hold the example. You've got to guard what's been entrusted, the gospel message. People have turned away from us. You're going to suffer. Timothy, be strong. On top of that, he would have read this letter. He would have found out if he didn't know in chapter 4. Remember, there's no planes, there's no internet, there's none of that stuff. So maybe he didn't know. If he didn't, by the time he read this letter, he would have known that his father in the faith was about to die. Think about that way. People oftentimes just want to look at this letter through the eyes of Paul, and they should. It's his last letter. It's very important. But look at it through the eyes of Timothy. If Paul calls him his son, let's reverse that. Timothy can call him his spiritual father, his mentor, when he discipled him. If he didn't know before, he found out he's about to die. That in and of itself is heavy, is it not? Chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong. And here's the cool part about that verse. He doesn't say, I want you to reach down by your bootstraps, pull yourself up, be strong, suck it up. 
Go to the gym, work out, get physically strong, get strong. No. What does he say? Finish. Let's finish the verse there. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's what? In Christ Jesus. Never tells him. Suck it up. Be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's huge. That's huge. Because if you go over to chapter 1, you get a little glimpse of what that grace is. There's really no greater grace that we have than our salvation through Jesus. He talks about this over in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where he's talking about God. And he comes and he says, Who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, thank goodness, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus for all of eternity keeps going on down, and brought life and and immortality to light through the gospel. Church, let me ask you you today, are you strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus? Are you trying to live live life today by your own strength? Are you trying to live live the Christ life today by your own strength? Are you trying to have a godly marriage in your own strength? Are you trying to raise godly children in your own strength? Are you trying to be a witness, an incredible example at work? In your own strength. Because that will fail. I know that just from experience. But more importantly from the Word of God. But you're going to do it in the grace that's in Christ. Let's put this to the test here, this aspect. Because the Word here is an inward strength. A strengthening is the mindset. So don't look down. Just just look up for a second. If you need to close your eyes, that's fine. Just whatever you need to do just to think and focus. Let's put this to the test. All I'm going to do is give you facts if you're a believer today, I'm going to give you facts about the salvation in which you have. Okay, this is all from Scripture. You can look it up, put it to the test. All right, here we go. Sin entered the world. We were separated from God, the God of all creation. He spoke creation to being, sent His Son to die for us. Did He not? Live 33 years, perfect example. He can be the sacrifice, died a horrible death on the cross for us, as was prophesied. Didn't stay dead. What? Rose from the dead. To give you and I and anyone who will put our faith in that and surrender our life to that and confess our sin, give us what? Victory over sin and victory over death. And at the point of salvation, according to Ephesians chapter 1, His Spirit comes to live where? Inside of us. To give us the ability then to live the way that He's told us to and do the kingdom work that He's told us to. And that's make disciples. That's teach people the Word. That's live the life of Christ that He's told us to live according to His Word. We don't have to do that in our own strength. He's given us His Spirit to do that. And we'll do that until the point in which we die. But here's the cool part. We don't really die. I'm separated from my body and my spirit is where? In the presence of the Lord immediately, according to Paul. And I spend all of eternity with God with a new body. Right? I don't know what that looks like, but a new body. And not in the earth that we're going to have now, but in a new heavens like sky and a new earth. We get a glimpse of that in Revelation, the last two chapters. And you really get a cool picture of that from the city of Jerusalem. It's unfathomable where we're going to spend all of eternity. Forever. That's what he talks about. We're immortal. That's a glimpse of the grace that you have as a result of Christ Jesus today. Not to mention the hope that goes along with that. How was that? That strengthened you just a little bit? Strengthens me just saying it and reading it. That's a glimpse. Be strong in the grace that is in who? Christ Jesus. 
If we're trying to live this Christ life and do this kingdom work that God's called us to do in our own strength, church, look at me, you're going to fail. And God never told you that's what you're supposed to do anyway. Be strong what? In the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So again, I ask you today, are you living the Christ life in your own strength? Are you here this morning? Let's make it practical. Are you here this morning trying to live the Christ life in your own strength? Or are you living and walking in the grace, the strength that's in Christ Jesus? Now, does that make sense why Paul would need to tell him that starting in chapter 2? Suffer with me. Guard this treasure. All these people have walked away from you. I'm about to die. You my son, be strong. be strong, not in your own strength, in the grace that's in who? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Makes, sense. Makes sense why he's got to tell him that? But here's the cool, here's the cool part. In chapter, in chapter 1, he had to tell him all that because of the stuff in chapter 1, but also he's telling him be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus because of what he's about to tell him in verses 2 through 7 as well. Let's look at the second point of this. Okay? Here's the second point, women. That's this. Entrust God's word to others. Right? First one. Right? Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. That leads us now. Why would I need to be strong? Well, because of the second thing he's telling him. And that is to entrust God's word to others. Let's keep reading. Go to chapter 2. Well, go back up to chapter 1. Or sorry, verse 1 of chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 2. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, when I read this verse, first thing that jumped out to me was the beginning part of verse 2. The things you've heard from me. Well, what is it that Timothy's heard from Paul? That's really cool because, again, if you just go over one chapter to chapter 1 and verse 13... He tells him, or he tells us. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. What is it that Timothy's heard from Paul? Retain the standard, I told you. Hold the example of healthy teaching of sound words. Look, which you've what? Heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What is it that Timothy's heard from Paul? It's the sound doctrine of the Word of God, the gospel message of Jesus. That's what Paul's been pouring into Timothy year after year after year. So when he comes to chapter 2 and he tells him the things you've heard from me, that's exactly what he's talking about. The gospel message, the word of God you've heard from me, the sound, healthy teaching, that's what he's heard from me. And what's cool, for Paul himself, you can actually track where Paul heard it. If you go back to um, chapter 1, excuse me, it says this in chapter 1, um, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, this is Paul talking, with which I have been entrusted. you pick up on that? Paul has been entrusted with the gospel from who? From God himself. If you go back to 1 Timothy, we won't flip over there, but you go back to 1 Timothy, that's where it is that we see that he's been got, he got this gospel message from God himself. And then at the end of 1 Timothy, in chapter 6, he tells Timothy, you, Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to you. Again, you pick up on that? Paul himself got the gospel message from God. That's pretty cool. And what's he been doing all these years? He's been pouring it and trusting it into Timothy. Why? Why? Look what he says at the end of verse 2. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, look, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
You see why? You see why Paul's been pouring this into Timothy? Because now he wants him to go out and trust, find faithful men and trust it to them so they can do what in turn with it? Hold on to it and do nothing? No. So they in turn can find others who can go out and teach others. Pretty amazing thing to think about it. Look at me. That's four generations right there he's talking about. Paul got this sound teaching, the Word of God, the gospel message from God himself. What do you do with it? He poured into Timothy, many others, but here the example is Timothy. Poured into Timothy. What's Timothy supposed to do in this one verse? Find faithful men to do what? So they in turn, he can pour it into them, and they in turn can go out and teach it to others as well. I told you from the get-go, this is Paul's last letter that we know about. He's writing to someone of the utmost importance to him. He's writing what's most important to him. Doesn't it make sense why someone who knows they're about to die would write this? Now he would write it to someone that he found faithful himself. So he tells that person, I want you to go out and find people who are faithful so in turn they can go out and find people who are faithful and continually teach it. You get it? Paul doesn't want his ministry to die with him. He knows it's a ministry he got from God years ago. And he wants that ministry to far outlive him. That's kingdom-minded. That's kingdom work. If you track the life of Paul, which you can in Acts and other books, it's really, really cool. That's what he did his whole life. He poured the Word of God in his life into others. He did kingdom work. He made disciples. He shared the gospel. He entrusted the Word of God to others. Now think for a minute. You're probably in one or two categories today. Because this applies directly to us. By the way, doesn't it make sense why he tells him to be strong in the graces in Jesus? This is no easy task. He knows that from the life of Paul who's been doing it and has seen how difficult and hard that is. One or two categories probably today. Either you're a new believer and you probably need someone to pour the Word of God into you and you've come to an amazing church to do that because I know Steve's going to teach the Word of God straight up. I know your Bible studies, he and I were talking about that. The Word of God's being taught. So you've got a great opportunity right here. But I would encourage you, if you're a new believer, find people who are going to pour the Word of God into you and study it for yourself to know it. Or you know the Word of God. Probably a lot of y'all because a lot of you are familiar faces. You've been coming here multiple years. Again, I know you're taught the Word of God. I assume you're studying it. So, if you know it, here's the question. Who are you entrusting the Word of God to? It's not just, I get it, learn it, and I keep it right here, right? It's not what he's telling him. You, Timothy, entrust it to faithful men, so in turn they can go and teach others also. I'll give you an example of this. I've not done this well my whole life. I'm going to give you an example of this. It's going to make me sound great and all this other stuff, but just ignore that. It's just an example. Okay? You can talk to my wife. There are many faults I have. So um, she's just not here today. Thank goodness for that. Okay? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wish she was. Um, guy named Jerome Gober. I don't know if Steve's ever talked about him. Okay? Jerome Gober. I may get a little emotional talking about Jerome in a second, but we'll work through that. Steve, Doug, and I hung out, I told you, since about eighth grade. Jerome, somewhere in that early time period, started teaching our Sunday school class. And he'd done that for years before us, and he did that years after us at Woodland Park. All Jerome would come in and do every Sunday is put up with a bunch of doofuses, because right, we were um, a bit immature back in that day. And he would teach us the Word of God. That's what he did every week. As we grew, 
and we desired the Lord more, guess what Jerome did? He grabbed the three of us and would take us to dinner, hang out with us. Um, and every conversation, whether we're out playing tennis, whether we're in Sunday school class, guess what he was doing every time we talked to him? Mickey, how you doing? How's your relationship with God? How much time you spend in the Word? And he was teaching me the Word without opening the Bible every single time. He'd open the Bible right there in Sunday school. And when we were going out to eat and hang out, the three of us, that's all he was asking us is how you're doing. So much so that when Steve and Doug and I are in town together, guess who we try to call and have dinner with? Jerome. He's still alive. He's in bad health right now. Um, so if we can't, we'll talk to him on the phone. And guess what Jerome still asks us as we're all going to turn 50 this year? Guess what he asks all of us as 50-year-olds almost? How you doing, Mickey? He could care less if I'm a pastor. He's, he's excited about that. He's proud of us. He wants to know how I'm doing in my relationship with Christ. He's still pointing the Word of God into me. So much so now... That Stephen, Doug, and I? Now, this is not all Jerome's fault. This is God's, but God's used Jerome and many others. I just use him as an example. To where now, I told you, Doug is a pastor in Washington State. I'm a pastor in Chattanooga. Steve is a pastor here. And guess what? The main thing in our life, what we want to do, is teach the Word of God to others. Because we had examples like Jerome our whole life who took this seriously and entrusted the Word of God to others, even when I would venture to say the three of us probably never saw that we'd be pastors. All right, all three of us. And now, what's cool is I was preaching about a month ago I'm at Woodland Park, and I saw two of my students, because I taught Bible for, man, about eight years in, in um, a Christian school in Chattanooga. I saw two of my former students I taught in high school, and now they're both there, and guess what they do? They teach the youth at our church the Word of God. You get those generations? And that's all I want. Yeah, again, I messed up. I told you it makes you sound better than I am, but that's all I want in my life. I ask you that question. Do you know the Word of God? And are you entrusting it to others? Because here's a question that really rocked me as I was reading this. Um, I'll use the example of Riverside today. If Paul told Timothy, Timothy, by the strength that's in Jesus, I want you to go out. I want you to entrust what I've taught you to faithful men and women. And I want you to go find them at Riverside Community Church. Would you be one of those people? Would you be one of those people that he came to and grabbed and said, you know what, I'm going to pour God's Word into you because I see you. Either the desire for you to go out and do that, or I already see you doing that. Because I know in turn that you're going to go out and teach it to other people. Do you see why he tells him in verse 1? Don't try to do this on your own strength. Do it what? In the strength that's found in Christ Jesus. In the grace that's in Christ Jesus. That makes sense, church? Again, the, the application is obvious, or at least it is to me. Do you know the Word of God? And if you do, if you don't, find people to pour it into you. But study it for yourself. You can learn that right here. There are many people in this room that I can teach you how to study the Word of God for yourself. If you know it, who are you entrusting it to? Who are you entrusting it to today? And maybe you're not. Maybe you need to. Ask God that. He'll show you. And let me just erase anybody getting out of this. He never says uh, when you're 18 you can start. 
There are, there are high school students right now that pour into my seven-year-old at our church. And few, and few things make me happier than that, to see that. I don't, mean just I don't mean they're just hanging out with her. They are. They're having fun with her. But they're also teaching her the Word of God. You can do it. First point. First point. Be strong in the, grace strong in the graces in Jesus. Makes sense. Makes sense. He tells him that because the second point, and trust God's word to other. And that brings us now to our, our third point. Another reason he would need to be strong is work hard at what really matters. We're going to look at this in verses in verse three, but also some examples in five, six, or four, five, and six. Look at verse three. This is such an encouraging word from Paul. Right. Suffer hardship with me. I mean, wouldn't you think that if he's wanting to write this and gain all these followers, you know what, hey, come get rich with me. Come be the most popular person in the world with me. What does he tell him again? Suffer hardship with me. And this is not the first time he told him this. Go over to chapter 1 again. We said it, look at it a second ago. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join me, what? In suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. This guy's got to be insane. This is the last letter he's writing. He's telling him to what? Suffer hardship with me. Does verse 1 make more sense? Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Because if you tell me to suffer hardship, by nature I'm a pretty self-disciplined person. I could probably do it for a while, but I'm going to wear out. I'm just going to wear out. Because who wants to suffer hardship, Right? But you do it by the grace that's in Christ Jesus for the purpose of sharing the gospel? Absolutely. The difference of those two verses of suffering hardship is at the end of verse 3. Look what he says. Suffer hardship with me as what? A good soldier of Christ Jesus. I've not been a soldier. My dad was. He's told me stories. He told me the, the G and PG um, versions of his stories of suffering um, of being part of the army um, back in the... And I guess that would have been the 60s. Um, and he said the word suffer is completely accurate for what he had to do to be trained to be a soldier. Right? Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, why would he use this analogy when talking to believers? Think about it. Work hard at what really matters. Life is hard, is it not? Can we all agree with that? Life is, can, be, can be quite difficult. But are willing to work hard and suffer for what really matters. He gives three illustrations. I don't have to give illustrations on this. He gives three of them. The first is what he was talking about being a good soldier. Look at verse 4. Okay? No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as soldiers. So let's break down a couple things there in verse 4 real quick. Look at the end of it. So he may please the one who enlists him as a soldier. As a believer, you're automatically enlisted into the kingdom of God. That's what Scripture tells us. We're part of God's kingdom. Okay, so in the beginning of verse 4, no soldier in active service. So I'm already enlisted into the kingdom of God. Let's, let's play out the analogy here. Okay, so I'm already in his army at that point. And I'm already active. Right? It's not, oh, well, you know, when you turn 18, then you'll be active. Because Scripture does talk about a spiritual warfare that's happening. Right? We have an enemy. He's the devil. Called many other things in Scripture. All right? But we are actively in a war. And we are already activated and enlisted in it when we surrender our life to Christ and believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, right? 
So the cool thing is he gives his spirit to do that. But look at the middle part of it. No active soldier entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so he may please the one who enlisted him. Fast all you that were believers today. Do you want your life to please God? I assume you would tell me yes. I would tell you yes. Well, then I would follow up with a question for all of us. So what are you entangled in in life that's hindering you from doing the kingdom work that God's called you to do? You get it? That's what he's asking us. He gives the example of a soldier because back in this day, we have a voluntary military. Back in this day, the kingdom would have basically taken you and you were part of the military and they would have removed you from everyday life. Why? So you wouldn't be distracted by all your normal life. They would take you over here and they would train you and mold you so you basically do whatever it is they told you to do so you could fight for their kingdom. Make sense? What's God telling us? Uh, the question is pretty simple. What are you entangled with in everyday life that's hindering you from doing the kingdom work that God's called you to do? Kingdom work. Sharing the gospel. Making disciples. Pouring God's word into others. That can be one-on-one. -on -one, right? It doesn't have to be up here preaching. It can be one-on-one -on -one in a conversation. But whatever kingdom work he's called you to do, and that's all throughout Scripture, you can study it and see. What are you entangled in that's keeping you from that? Now, this entangled stuff can be good stuff. For me, as I was studying through this, where I got convicted was entertainment. I love watching sports, as you got the hint a second ago from Tennessee football. And um, there are certain shows I just like to watch. I'm a old school survivor person, right? That's on CBS, and it's been like for 100 years, it seems like it's been on. Things of that nature. I just enjoy watching. But there are times in my life where I found myself in entertainment spending so much time on it, that's what it's doing. It's distracting me from doing the work that God's told me to do. Fill in the blank. I, I don't know. That's just the example that God gave me. What are you entangled with? Now, that, all those things can be good. Sports. God's given us sports. I enjoy it. Played them. Love watching them. Doesn't mean there's a problem with it. Watching Survivor doesn't mean there's a problem with that. Okay? But when I get to the point that I'm entangled in that stuff so much that it's hindering me from doing the kingdom work He's told me to do, we've got a problem. As a good soldier, I don't want to get there. Does that make sense? What are you saying? I want to work hard at what really matters. I doubt I'm ever going to get to heaven. God's going to say, did you see season six, episode eight of Survivor? Let's talk about that and break that down. I imagine he will love having conversations with Mickey. You know what? You shared the gospel that person a hundred times. On the hundred and first time, you know, I used the, the gospel through you. Um, that person comes to salvation. It makes sense. Like that, that's, that's what I think about. I have no idea what those conversations are going to be like. But that's what I envision as I think about it. I'm no military person. Right? But let's say, let's say, where would I put it? Um, give me one second. Make sure I got it right. Okay. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, here we go. I'm not, never been in the military, but I have a cousin who spent 20 years in the military. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Brad Pogue of the United States Air Force. Strong believer, loves the Lord. He has dedicated his life to making disciples. I asked him his perspective on this. Here's what he told me. This verse reminds us that we don't tell God what we should do with our time and resources. We're not called to be on leave in the military. Uh, leave is a military term, kind of like being on vacation for us if we're in it. Uh, that's the time we military lets us be released to do what we want to. The rest of the time we're going to do whatever they tell us. So the place says, we're not called to be on leave most of the time. Spending our time and effort on non-kingdom activities. 
We should not consider temporal things more worth doing than kingdom things. As believers, we should know what pleases God and what it means to be willing to serve in Christ's kingdom. What are you entangled with today that's distracting you or keeping you from doing the kingdom work that God's called you to do? Make sense? That's the example of a soldier. Keep going. He gives us another example in verse 5 of this aspect of work hard at what really matters. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So from soldier to athlete, I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan. have been since 1980. Okay, guy named Del Murphy was my favorite player of all time. Um, love him. Last year, the Braves had an awesome surprise run, and what did they win? The World Series. That's the ultimate trophy they can win as athletes. All right. How they do that? Well, they worked hard. No question. Um, I'll get a, I've got a glimpse, and I'll give you a glimpse of that here in a second. But also, they competed according to the rules. What I know about baseball is you can have nine guys on the field, and they can play, and that's it. The Braves did that. They sent out nine guys every time. They competed last year, and they won the ultimate prize. Now, had the Braves sent out ten people on the field in all 162 games, guess what? They would have never won a game. They would have never made the playoffs, and they would have never won the prize because they didn't compete according to the rules, right? Now, what's that got to do with us? Let's play out the illustration since God's given it to us. As believers, where do we learn how to live the kingdom life that he's told us to live? This is an abbreviated version, right? But it's the Word of God. The Bible you have, either by your phone or in your hand today, that's where we learn how we're supposed to live and do the things he's told us to do and live the kingdom life. And guess what? Literally, it says in Scripture, if we do that, there are actual crowns that we will get with all when we're living all eternity with God. Like, literally, that's what it is. So if you want to know how to live the life He's told you to live as a believer and to do the kingdom work He's told you to do as a believer, you've got another Word of God. Does that make sense, the illustration? So I would ask, how well today do you know the Word of God? And it's not just knowing it, but are you applying it to your life, to where it's affecting your life, to where you look and act like God more, or Jesus, I guess the example more, and you're doing the kingdom work that he's told you to do as a result of what you've studied. Does that make sense? Now again, I am not an athlete. Okay, I was reminded of this. I used to play softball, slow pitch, when I was in college. Loved it. Did it every weekend with buddies of mine. Um, and I made the mistake of saying yes when about a year ago, um, some of these younger guys at church said, Hey, Mickey, I heard you used to play softball. We're starting a team. Um, we want to um, have you come play with us. I made the mistake of saying yes to that. Um, now last year, we just or I guess we just wrapped up this last year's season. And these guys, it's amazing what you remember because there's two guys in their mid-20s that are playing. And... I learned very quickly not to say this the next day whenever I would see them or talk to them. Man, how sore are you today? Because they're not sore in any way, shape, or form. I can't hardly walk. It takes me a week to get out of bed, okay? So I used to be an athlete. God's reminded me those days have long since passed. But I did have the opportunity to be around professional athletes. If you know anything about Chattanooga, we have the Chattanooga Lookouts. They're the double-A baseball team. So the Braves are professional, and there's triple-A, and there's double-A. So they're two leagues below. But they still get paid to play, all right? They're professionals. All right? I had the opportunity to be a chaplain for them for 10 years. I gave that up about three years ago. And so I got to know a lot of guys that would come through that just love Jesus. And 
truly want to make disciples and see baseball as an avenue in which God's given them to share the gospel, make disciples in kind of an ungodly environment. Does that make sense? One of those guys' name is Jake Reed, and Jake's a pretty awesome, awesome guy. Um, and Jake, this last year, I think he's pitched for the Dodgers and the Mets, and I think this last year he is with the Orioles. He's a relief pitcher. So I asked Jake, I said, Jake, give me your perspective on this aspect of an athlete. You know, keep competing according to the prize. Here's what Jake told me. It says this. Paul talks about the importance of playing by the rules to win the prize. In order to play by the rules, you must first know what they are. You really shouldn't play a sport very much um, if you have no idea what the rules are and what the goal of the game is. In the same way, in our faith, God's given us everything we need in order to be faithful followers of Jesus by giving us His Word and the power of His Holy Spirit. Without a strong work ethic and knowledge of the game, it's going to be really tough to be a successful athlete. In the same way, without a consistent investment in our study of God's Word, we're making it more difficult on ourselves to fulfill God's call on our lives and the kingdom work He's called us to do. Make sense? Two illustrations about this aspect of work hard that really matters. Soldier, don't get entangled in the stuff that's going to keep you from doing the kingdom work. Know the Word of God. Know the life He's told you to live, right? The aspect of playing by the rules. And then look at the third one in verse 6. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Straight up, I don't know a lot about farming, but what I do know is it's flat-out hard work. Our family is still a working farm. Um, owns about 94 acres up past Dayton, Tennessee. And I remember... Vague memories of going there as a child. That I remember as I got older, my grandfather telling us stories about he and his two brothers and their dad and how hard they had to work at the farm to see a what? To see the harvest. An incredible amount of hard work in which it was. Look what he says. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive a share of crops. That's the illustration that God gives us right there. Living the Christ life, doing the kingdom work, guess what? It is hard work. Now, let's... Make sure we understand this. No amount of me doing good and hard work will ever save me. You understand that? The work that Jesus Christ did by dying on the cross and raising from the dead, and my faith in that, and me surrendering my life to that, confessing my sin, that is what saves me, the work of Jesus. But at that point, God puts His Spirit inside of me, and living this life, this Christ life, doing the kingdom work, is it hard? Is it hard? Yes. yes, it is. But is it absolutely amazing? Yes, it is. I would not trade it for anything on the planet ever. But it is hard work, is it not? Being holy when the whole world around you is not, it's tough. Not trying to go out and seek after everything the world is seeking after, everything that pleases my eyes. That can be tough, right? Dealing with temptation and sin, that's tough, is it not? But the hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. What's cool is sometimes we get a, gl sometimes we get a glimpse of that harvest. Uh, again, I remember as a teacher sharing the gospel with a student maybe once, then a week later, and then a year later, and then three years later, and finally seeing that student, not because of me, just because of God, and accept Christ as our Savior. Man.
talk about a glimpse of, of the harvest we get to see. Or teaching new believers the Word of God and seeing their love and desire for the Word of God, to want to study it more, to want to learn how to study it for themselves. Or that light bulb to go off, right? Oh, man, I, I, my life needs to change as a result of what they were studying. It's amazing, isn't it? It's worth every ounce of hard work, even if I got to see none of that. I know what awaits me in all of eternity. I just gave you a glimpse of that a second ago, right? Immortal with God in His presence forever in a new heavens and earth, literally, a new place to live that He's going to build in a new body where I'm with Him in His presence forever. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crop. Uh, Matt McGee, he's a friend of mine. He's a farmer. Okay, He's in our body at Woodland Park. Uh, here's what Matt told me. Farming takes a lot of preparation. Laboring the ground. Um, if you slack at the preparation, there will be no harvest. In context, Paul's telling Timothy to be steadfast in his work, to labor intensively, toward preaching the gospel and building God's church for his kingdom. Now that can look different. The aspect of God, however he wants to use us to build his kingdom. You know, it can happen as a, as a lawyer, as a plumber, as a pastor, whatever. Whatever he calls you to do. But are you working hard at what really matters? I've yet to talk to a farmer who says, this is easy. It's the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. I should have been doing this 40 years ago, right? But I have talked to farmers many times and said, man, the harvest is awesome. It's worth the hard work. So I ask you, as a soldier, right, what's entangling you that's keeping you from doing the hard work, the work that really matters, the kingdom work of God? As an, athlete, As an athlete, do you know the Word of God? Do you know how it is He's told you to live this life? Do you know the kingdom work He's called you to do? And as a, as a farmer, are you willing to work hard? Not by your own strength, remember? By the strength, what? That's found in the grace in Christ Jesus. We don't do any of this on our own. He's given us His Spirit. As a result of the work that Jesus did, my belief in Him, His Spirit is inside of me. And I'm supposed to walk by His Spirit every day, am I not? Renewing my mind every day to do the work that he's called me to do every day. So Riverside, I ask you that. You know, that, that was kind of the, the closing statement. Our strength for kingdom work is found in the graces in Jesus. I ask you those questions one more time today. Are you out trying to do kingdom work in your own strength today? Think today. What are you trying to do in your own strength? His kingdom work can be your marriage, raising your children, the job he's called you to, whatever it may be. You're trying to do that in your own strength. What's entangling you? What are you entangled in that's hindering you from doing the kingdom work he's called you to do? Are you willing to entrust God's word to others? Are you actively doing that? Imagine how Riverside would look If every single person I see here, maybe you are, and so maybe it's just the greatest thing on the planet, was entrusting God's Word to others, to where you have this whole cycle of people 
and trusting God's word here, and they're growing up, and they're going to entrust it to others and others and others. That kingdom, kingdom word just keeps going, and then people are going out from here, sounding forth the gospel, right? I know it's happening, but I just pray that continues to grow and grow and grow. Well, the cool part about this passage, I don't have to give a closing, because look at verse 7. Paul gives us a closing to this, this message. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Forget what I've said. Look at the Word of God. Let His Spirit guide you and direct you into what it has to say. But look at the first part of this. I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity today before you leave to consider what God has said. There's an illustration, right, of the soldier, the athlete of the farmer, been told to entrust God's word to others. We're told to be strong in the grace in Christ Jesus. So as I close here, I want to give you just that, that I don't, people may see as awkward silence. It's not awkward to me if you're seeking God. Give you a second just to have some conversation with God. And I'm going to pray for us. And then whoever else wants to come up, they can. Or if not, I'll just close this and dismiss you. But I really want you to consider what it is God has said today. Let's, let's pray. Lord, as we have this moment here for a second, I pray that you'll speak to all of us just in a, in a few minutes here. Show us what it is that you want us to see. Let us take time right now to consider what it is that you've told us.